Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into the message this morning. We're going to continue our series that we've entitled Christmas Time at Broomfield Assembly. As I mentioned last week, we're kind of doing things a little bit different this year. We're, we're not necessarily focusing in on a specific area of Scripture during Christmas, but we're kind of jumping around a little bit. But with every message, I, I, I hope it has some Christmassy in it and some, some, some uh, things that help us remember some things during this time of year. But uh, So this morning, the title of, of this Sunday's message is quite simply uh, The Widow's Gift the widow's gift. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for all that this season represents, all it means. It's such a special time. And and God, it's so easy to get focused on so many other things. But in this moment, God, I pray that we would remember what this season's really all about. It's all about you. It's all about the gift of you to a world that desperately needs you. And Father, we all need you. Every single one of us. And so, God, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for this opportunity. Father, I pray as we look at these things together that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us, speak to our hearts individually, and just help us, form us, shape us, God, how you desire to do that in this moment. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to, before we kind of really get in, I want to kind of take you down memory lane this morning. I know Christmas, what I love about Christmas is the memories and the connections that happen. And so I want to ask everybody a simple question. Now, some of you, this will kind of, you'll immediately know, you'll immediately think of something. Uh, For others, you may have to think a little bit harder, but I just have a question. What is the best gift you've ever received at Christmas? Now, don't yell it out or don't shout it out, but I just want you to think about that. What's the best gift you ever got? You know, some of you immediately think of maybe as something that you got when you were younger. Maybe it's something you got recently. But what is the best gift you've ever got? What was the best thing that you ever received? And, and, and not only that, I want to ask you another question. What is the best gift you've ever given? What's the best gift you've ever given? Because here's the thing. Like, for most of us, we can usually think of, oh, man, I know immediately what the best gift is. Like, oh, when I was five, I got this toy, or, or I got a bike, or I got... And there's nothing wrong with those things, Okay. Those are great things, and I would love, honestly, I really would, I love Christmas, and I I would love to sit down with every single one of you and hear, like, what that memory is for you. Like, what was that day, or what was that like, you know, what was this, you know, like, when we think about memories, so many things come to mind, but what what was that like when you got that gift? But more importantly, what was it like when you gave that other gift? What was the best gift you've ever given? I was thinking about that this week, and, and, and I thought, you know, I could share what the best gift that, that I've ever received would be, but I thought maybe it would be cool to tell you what the best gift maybe I've ever given. And, and you make it, this is kind of a weird one, and, and, and maybe there'll be a better one later or whatever, but I was thinking, what is the best gift that I've ever given, you know? And I was thinking about, about oh, about eight or so years ago, and, and Emily and I, uh, well, let me rephrase that, Emily was pregnant. But nobody knew yet, you know. We were keeping it very under wraps and things like that. And we went back, uh, we, we, we told her parents a special way, and, and, and then we went home to Kansas City or, uh, for Christmas, or at least my parents' home. And we were there, and my mom had one of those necklaces that are kind of like, you have to have one if you're a grandmother, you know, with all the uh, grandkids on it. You know, if you don't have one of those and you're a grandmother, I, I, you, you better get one. I think that's important. But anyway, she had one of those, you know, and she had... Zeke and Gracie and Abby and I mean all her grandkids and so we knew she had that that necklace 
And so Em and I came up with the idea, and every time she had a new grandkid, she would add a little charm or a little thing with their birthstone on her or something like that. So Emily and I found out where she'd gotten that, and we bought her one for, which would eventually would be Easton. And that was her gift that, I think we gave her something else too, but that was her main gift for Christmas. And I remember her opening up this little package and trying to figure out what was inside. And she opens it up and she holds up this, this little thing. And it, I don't think it dawned on her quite immediately. You know, it's like you're not thinking that that's what you're going to get for Christmas. And then all of a sudden she kind of like, you know, and she, are you pregnant? You know, and we're like, yeah. And she went crazy and we went crazy and everybody went crazy. And it was, it's been crazy ever since. And that was a pretty cool Christmas. That was a pretty cool gift that that we gave, but what's the best gift you've ever given? What's the best gift? Because here's the thing, no matter how good a gift that you have given, and you may sit down and say, listen, I did this or I did that, I seriously doubt the gift that you gave will be remembered for a really long time. Like, I'm sure it'll be remembered for a while. As long as you're around, you'll remember it. As long as the person you gave it to, that'll be remembered. Today, we're going to actually look at a gift that someone gave that has literally been remembered for thousands of years. That is a good gift. And I think we can learn from that gift. But more than that, we need to understand that not just in that scripture that we're going to look at, but there is a broader understanding of that moment. So you may know this story, you may have heard this story before, but we're going to look at it a little broader this morning because there's something that happens before the story which makes the story that most of us know even more tangible, even more stirring than what we see it before. So we're going to be in Mark 12. We're going to read the entire portion of Scripture uh, this morning, about uh, six verses or so, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at them in depth together. So we're going to be in Mark 12, starting with verse number 38, and we're going to read through 44. This is what it says. Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law, For they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This morning, to really see what we're looking at here, to see what's going on, we want to first look at the context of this this passage of Scripture. If you know me, one of my favorite things in the whole world when we look at Scripture is the context, understanding the context. I want to give that to you. Jesus here is teaching in the temple. He's already come into Jerusalem. He's had the the joyful, excited uh, entry into Jerusalem on the donkey. he's, He's now teaching at the temple in Jerusalem. So Jesus here is teaching here, and he first, in the context of what we're looking at, he says, listen, I want you to beware of these people. I 
want you to be aware of these people. And basically, in other translations, it says the scribes, and the one we looked at, it says the teachers of the law. Basically, these are the religious elite of the day. And these aren't just the religious elite at a certain area or a certain place. These are the religious elite in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the top of the top. Jesus here is not picking on, uh, maybe if we can understand this, a little pastor in Podunk, Oklahoma. He is picking on the highest of the highest when it comes to the religious leaders of his day. He's at the temple and he's speaking and he's teaching his disciples. And he says, listen, I want you to beware of these people. Jesus uses a very, very strong word here. He's basically saying, look out, be aware, be cautious, don't do these sort of things. When I think of a beware sign, I usually think about cartoons that I saw when I was a kid. And there was usually the sign, you know, as they would go into a spooky place or a scary place, and the sign would say, beware. Be cautious. Don't be, be very vigilant about what is going on. And Jesus says, I need you to understand this. And he begins to share some things about them. But then immediately following that, scripture says that Jesus sat down. He's still in the temple. And then he sees something completely different. But we need to start understanding the context. Why would Jesus say this? And in some ways, why would Jesus tell us to beware? I mean, in some ways, these are the people that, right, we're supposed to kind of follow and kind of, they should be a good example for us. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, you need to watch out for these people. Look what he says again in Mark 12, 38 and 40. He says, Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of the religious law. Not only does Jesus tell us to beware, but then he gives us some interesting reasons that is kind of hard if we don't understand the context to understand what this is all about. Why, is, why are we should we be aware of this stuff? And then he goes on. For like the parade around and flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplace. How they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and, and at the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, check this out, they will be more severely punished. And typically what we do is we see the end of verse number 40 or, or, or so, and we go, oh, that's why. But there's a deeper thing here that Jesus wants us to see. So we're going to look at five things that Jesus wants us to beware of. Number one, we're supposed to beware the teachers of the law because they like their flowing robes. Now you go, really? I mean, is that really what this is about? Yeah, it really is. Beware of their flowing robes. Here's the thing about this. Number one, they love to stand out. They would have these robes that they would wear and they'd be long and luxurious. They'd be beautifully embroidered with beautiful colors and they would walk into the temple and basically it was the look at me of the day. It was the selfie of the day. It was you need to pay attention to me. Look at me. See me. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need to beware of people that that is their focus. But more than that, here's what's interesting. The robes that they were wearing were not robes that a common person would wear. A person that was working would never wear a robe like that. Why? Number one, it was dangerous. You know, if you're out there doing something that's dangerous with, with sharp objects or wood or whatever, that robe could get caught in something, you could get hurt. And basically, in some ways, it was, it was a, a standout thing. It was, I'm different than the lowly people. I am better than them. Basically, it was symbolizing that they were men of leisure. They were men that didn't work. In fact, what they would do is they would watch other people work. 
In our community groups, we've been watching The Chosen. They do an outstanding job with certain things. And one of the things they do an outstanding job is with the costumes that the people wear. And you'll see, if you watch that, Jesus and his disciples look very different than the religious leaders of the day. The religious leaders have their long robes. Jesus looks like he's wearing burlap. It's brown. It's dirty. It's not very... It's not, it's not long, it's short, especially compared to the big flowing robes that they have. So Jesus says, listen, don't be like that. Don't be, the, the, the most important thing is that you are the center of attention, that you aren't working and doing something for God. Number two, he says, beware the teachers of the law because they love their respectful greetings. Now, you read that and you go, well, what's wrong with that? Is that really that bad? Yeah, it kind of is. Because what they would demand as a religious leader was that not only did you greet them a certain way, but that you literally would somewhat bow before them in their presence. They demanded acknowledgement. They demanded that they would be treated in a certain way. And if you didn't meet that, there was something wrong with you, not with them. Now, Jesus here isn't saying that we should be respectful or kind or nice. He's saying, where is your heart? What is most important to you? And to them, it was the image that they were a holy person, that they were better than everybody else. And they demanded to be treated in a certain way. So they wanted to be respectfully greeted as not just as so-and-so, but as certain so-and-so. That was so important to them. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. They loved the respectful greetings more than they loved the people that were respecting them, which is a major problem. Number three, he says, beware that you should the law because they loved the best seats in the synagogue and at banquets. It's interesting because here Jesus is, he teaches later on in other gospels and, and other parts of the scripture where he literally says, listen, when you go to a banquet, don't go to the place of honor. You know, because if you go to the place of honor, then the person says, hey, listen, that's not your seat. That's going to be pretty embarrassing. But these men, they loved that. They thrived on that. They demanded the perks of their office. They demand, look, look at me, how wonderful I am. Yes, I should be honored. I should be praised. I should be looked at in that way. And if you don't do that, again, you need to get your life in order because you should honor and praise me. It was a demanding that because of their office, because of where they stood, quote unquote, in society, that they should be treated better than the, the, the masses that were under them. Jesus said, don't be like that. Beware of that type of attitude and that type of lifestyle. Now, four and five are what we probably more typically look at as the negatives, but we need to look a little bit deeper into those. Number, number four, beware the teachers of the law because they cheated widows out of their houses or property, depending on the, the translation that you're looking at. Now, let's look at this and let's understand what this situation is, Okay. At this time, if you were one of these religious leaders or one of these scribes, you could not teach for money, okay? That was, that was not something you did. You didn't go someplace and I'm going to teach these people and people would give me money. However, you could get gifts. And a lot of these men, they would prey on the sometimes the most vulnerable in society 
to make that happen. Okay? They would prey on these widows who had, at the time, they were literally the most vulnerable that the, the society had at that time. And they would do something like this. They would go to them and they would say, you know, do you want God to bless you? Do you want God to provide for you a husband? Well, if you want that to happen, then you really should give me a gift. And you go, oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's terrible. You know, as sad as it is, and as much as I hate to say it, sometimes I've turned on the TV and I've seen some of the same stuff in today's world. You just send 1995. I will send you this prayer hanky that has been prayed over, anointed by me. Sad. So that's one way that that took place. They would prey on them. They would say basically, hey, listen, if you want, listen, as, as horrible as this is, if you want God to listen to your prayers, you better give something to me. It's interesting here that, that in the translation, some I was looking at, one of the translations literally said that they, Jesus said they devoured widows' houses, devoured them. That word is crazy to me because it's just such a power. Like, it was, you know, you, you, when do you devour something? You devour, you know, listen, when you're full, you don't devour anything. You get that? You, 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 we use other words when we're full. We, you know, if you, if you maybe, you know, Thanksgiving was a couple weeks ago, you know, and some people have, you know, they go to three or four Thanksgivings, you know. You don't devour Thanksgiving dinner on your third Thanksgiving meal, you know what I mean? You typically, you know, I'll snack a little bit. I'll, I'll eat a little, little bit of this, or maybe I'll have a little bit of pie, but I don't do that. You devour when you're starving. You devour when you're hungry. And these men already had prestige. They had money. They had respect. And it was like, it didn't matter. They needed more and more and more. They devoured it. Our society, when you look at it, we have so many people that are so hungry for something. They're just devouring everything they can find. The second way, is when these widows became widows, we had a, they had a situation where some of these scribes or, 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 or religious leaders would, and you got to follow me here, they would manage the widow's household. Okay? They would manage it. And so they would come in and they would say, oh, let me, I'm so sorry your husband died. Let me help you. Let me, let me take care of things and, and, and I'll take care of this and you don't have to worry about this. And, and they would usually, when they would do that, they would kind of take a little bit off the top for them. They would say, oh, well, you know, since I'm doing this, I'm sure God wouldn't want me to work for nothing. And so they would take, they would literally steal from them, which is a way that they would devour these widows' houses and their property bite by bite by bite. And Jesus calls them out. And remember, Jesus is not calling, you know, what we would maybe consider maybe not the highest place. He is at the temple in Jerusalem. And he's speaking about these types of people and saying, do not beware. The final thing is they, he says, beware the teachers of the law because they're lengthy, showy prayers. Real simple. Jesus said, they got all the show, but they got no substance. They got the flowing robes. They got all this respect. But you know what? Their prayers are hollow. Their prayers are nothing but blah, blah, blah. And he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be a people that looks and, and, and people say, oh, wow, look, look how great they are. But there's nothing there to substantiate that claim. 
You see, here's the thing. The teachers of the law that Jesus tells us to beware of were people who used their position to further their own self-centered ambitions. That's who these men were. And Jesus says, you don't, he doesn't say, he doesn't just say, hey, hey, just be aware. He says, beware. Beware of them. So this is the context of the next statement that, again, most of us know. So we're not going to just look at the context. Now we want to look at the contrast. The contrast between what Jesus has just told us to beware of and then what happens next. So let's look at the contrast in Mark 12. Mark 12, uh, verses 41 through 44. This is what it says. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. I love that. Jesus is, Jesus is he's had a long day, and, and he just, he, he's tired. He sits down. And now he's people watching. You ever like a people watch? So Jesus is people watching now. So he sits down, and he begins just to watch people. And he says this. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has to live on. Okay, now, I want you to kind of, I want to paint this picture for you, okay? Because we see this, and, and I've seen people that may have drawn this before, but I want you to really understand, again, Jesus here is in the temple in Jerusalem. In the temple in Jerusalem, there are different areas and sections. Jesus is in what is called the court of women at this time. In the court of women, there are 13 basically money receptacles. Okay? Each of these 13 receptacles are shaped like a trumpet and are made out of brass. Okay, so you kind of have that picture, you know, I used to, I played the trumpet when I was in elementary school, you know, I, I was thinking, well, I wish somewhere I knew where that trumpet was, I would have brought it for you and showed you, but, but I didn't know where it was, and I think probably my nephew or niece has it someplace or whatever, but anyway, um, this is what the picture is, and Jesus is sitting down in this courtyard, in this area, and he's watching people do this, and he's watching people put in large sums of money. Now, we have to remember something. Now, this is one of those things that we typically remember, you know, when, when it's said, but not always in the moment. They didn't have paper money back then. All the money they had was coins. They had coins. And so you had 13 of these brass trumpets sitting there. So Jesus is watching. And this is what he's not only seeing, but hearing. Now, what does this mean? It's simple. Not only is Jesus, and not only can people see what is being given, they can also hear what is being given. So these people would come, and they would take their coins, and they would put them in, and so not only, again, can you see it, but you can hear it. So as this is taking place, a woman walks up. The Bible identifies her as a widow. Again, the most vulnerable person in their society. And Jesus watches her take two coins. We believe that when we look at the amounts, they were roughly two pennies. And she puts in hers. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. You've been watching just like Jesus. 
you've watched these men walk in, dump in there. And you, ooh, yeah, that guy's put in a lot of money. Yeah, that sounds good. Next guy comes in and he opens up his little purse and, ooh, that's really something. And then this little widow walks up. Jesus is watching this. And in that moment, Jesus does something really cool. And listen, in your, depending on the Bible that you use, you'll see these throughout uh, the, 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 the Gospels. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when I was growing up and I used my, my New King James Version a lot, it would say, verily, verily. Let me explain to you what Jesus is saying when he says any kind of that type of words. Basically, Jesus is saying, whoa, heads up, look out, check it out. This is big. So let me kind of give you this idea. You've kind of pictured this in your mind. You see the woman walk in. She drops the two coins. And Jesus literally stands up and says, come on, disciples, get over here. This is big. This is a teachable moment. You need to get this. So here's what you need to understand. As his disciples today, he is still saying, this is important. This is verily, verily. You need to see this. And he says to them, listen, you need to understand something. This woman has put in more than everybody else. And you got to believe this. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. No, no, no. Listen, did you not hear the clanking? Okay? Those men put in probably thousands of dollars. This woman puts in two pennies. How in the world can you say that? And here's the thing, and this is in your notes because I wanted you to get this. Not only is Jesus saying that, he's, he's saying something even broader. Jesus did not say that she put in more than any one of them. Look at what he says. He says she put in more than all of them. Meaning all of them put together. Jesus didn't just say, oh, the one that came before that maybe put in $500. She put in more than him. But surely, Jesus, she didn't put in more than the person who would just give $10,000. Jesus is saying every single one of them that put money in, who knows how much could have been there. Jesus said her two pennies are more, are more. How in the world can that be? How in the world can that be? Well, here's the deal. Jesus explains that in verses 30, 43 and 44. This is what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Here it is in 44. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Why did she give more? Because she gave it all. You know, here's the deal. Let's just be honest. It's easy to give of ourselves when we have a lot of time. It's easy to give of our resources when we feel like we're doing well financially. It's easy to give of our talents when we feel like, you know what, I'm really, really good at this and this is really going to be good. It's a completely other thing when we have little. And Jesus is saying here, listen, she gave, her gift was so much greater because she gave 
basically all she had to live on. As I was studying this this week, I found basically two ideas of what this means, what Jesus said, this idea of giving it all that she had to live on. One was the idea that literally she gave her last two pennies. That she in that moment was saying, God, I trust you with everything. I'm giving you all that I have because I trust that you'll take care of me. That you will provide for me. And so God, I'll give it to you knowing that your promises are true and you will help me and take care of me. She understood what Jesus taught in, in, in Matthew when she t- he talked about the fact that if, if, look at the birds, look at the, the flowers. If all those things that God takes care of, how much more will he take care of you? This was an action. This was an application of that understanding. She gave it all. The other was that basically what that meant was that she had those two coins for today. That that was her food money. And by giving those two coins, she was basically saying, you know what, God, I give it to you. That means today that I and my children, if she had them, will not eat. She was basically saying she had all, basically the idea was that she had, she gave all that she had to live on for that day. Now, whether it was the first or the latter What we do see is a gift that literally changed history. You talk about your gift, and I talk about my gift. And you know what? Those are special things. This gift has been talked about and shared and learned from and hopefully applied for literally thousands of years. And listen, I don't know about you, but I would love to do something in my life that Jesus taps his dad up in heaven and says, looky here, look what he's done. Not for my own pride, but so that I could know that I was doing something that Jesus looked at and said, that's my boy. That's, I'm so proud of how you handled that. And I believe that does happen with not just hopefully me, but with all of us. So we've talked about the context. We've seen now this contrast between these win- this, this, this widow and these religious leaders. We need to close this out by looking at the challenge. What's the challenge that Jesus gives us this morning, this time of year? We're going to look at three things that I believe that we need to look at and apply in our lives. Number one, Jesus is telling us to beware of living our lives with a sense of pride and self-reliance. Okay, He's saying beware of that type of attitude. Beware of that thought that you don't need anybody. You are good on your own. I am all good. Beware of it. Beware of the sense that you're trying to get everybody to look at you instead of trying to get everybody to look at Jesus. One of the issues I think so many pastors and so many churches can have is what's most important to them is that their name becomes great, not Jesus' name. The bottom line is, unfortunately, these religious leaders, these scribes, because, and there was probably lots of other reasons besides this, but because they were so interested in their robes and their greetings and their places and their prayers and all that they could get, Jesus is standing right in front of them, the Messiah of the world who came to take away the sins of the world, and they missed him. How is that possible? They knew it all. Listen, these guys didn't just know the Old Testament. They had memorized the Old Testament. 
I mean, you could walk up to them and say, Isaiah 5.2, and they could quote it from memory. Psalms 19.4, and they could quote it from memory. Deuteronomy 7.12, and they could quote it from memory. They knew the prophecies. But because they were so self-absorbed, because they were so much about themselves, they didn't need Jesus. Listen, one of the biggest traps of the enemy that he gives, I believe, Western American culture is this idea that we don't need anybody else. We don't need Jesus. Do you see the house I live in? Do you see the car I drive? Do you see the, 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 the bank account I have? I don't need anything. That is a lie from the pit of hell. We have got to beware of that type of attitude. Why? Because when we have that type of attitude, Jesus could be standing right in front of us and we can miss him. I don't want to miss Jesus. I don't want you to miss Jesus. So as we look at our lives, is our lives, are, are our lives full of that pride and self-reliance? You see, here's the thing. In some ways, we, we, we are taught by our culture that self-reliance is a good thing. And I believe in some ways it is, but not in our spiritual walk. Our spiritual walk is not a walk of self-reliance. Why? Well, let's look at it number two. Jesus tells us to become a person of humility and total dependence. We're not to be people of self-reliance. We're people of dependence. It always cracks me up when, when I have people come to me and we'll have a discussion and they basically look at me and they go, man, there's one reason I don't like Christianity. Okay, why? It's such a crutch. And I love it when people say that because I go, you nailed it! Yes! Correct! Gold star for the day! It is a crutch. Why? Because I'm broken. You don't use crutches for a broken leg if your leg isn't broken. But what I understand about myself is I got brokenness all over me. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need love. I need joy. I need fulfillment. I tried to go find it other places and it's not good enough. You bet it's a crutch. I need it. And here's what's awesome. As I, the more time I'm with Jesus and the more time I experience Him, guess what He begins to do? He begins to heal those things in me. But listen, my total and complete healing won't take place till either I'm dead and I got the new body and the new stuff or Jesus comes and gets us. The worst thing you could do is though, I got it, I'm good, self-reliance. We are a broken, needy people. We are. And we would be good to acknowledge that. Why? Because when we acknowledge that, Jesus comes and he does in us what we need. I love the scripture that says Jesus stands at the door and kicks it down and forces us to have a dinner with him. He stands at the door and knocks. Why? Because he looks to us to be willing to open the door. We need him. What was that woman, that widow, basically saying? Whether it was for the day or all she had. She was basically saying, Father, 
I am completely and totally dependent on you. And can I, can I just be honest with you? That seems like a scary place. It does. I get that. That at times is the best place you could ever be. Is to allow yourself that place of dependence. Listen, if we didn't need a savior, Jesus would never have been born in Bethlehem. Why do we celebrate this time? It's real simple. Because we needed him. I love the concept and the thought that, that when Jesus came, it was, it was a rescue mission. You know? Like, I like history, and I love to study about different things. I love those stories about the men. that were, They're going in, and they were going to go on a rescue mission. You see movies like that or stories like that? Jesus' coming was a rescue mission. Listen, you don't rescue those that don't need saving. But Jesus knew that we needed that. It's okay to say, Father, I need you. Father, I can't do this without you. Father, I need those things in my life. Because what's so awesome is when we do that, God says, here you go. And he gives it liberally to us. The final thing. Our giving is not measured by the sum, instead by the sacrifice. It's not measured by the sum, it's measured by the sacrifice. The story is interesting because you got to know that those disciples were sitting there and they had the wrong mindset. One of the things that Jesus does constantly throughout the Gospels is he tries to help people change their mindset. The mindset of the disciples, and unfortunately at times the mindset of people, is this concept that if you give more, that's more valuable. Okay? If you give more, then it's, it's, it's more. We, we, we judge things by the sum instead of the sacrifice. What Jesus is communicating here is like, listen, listen. It's not about the amount. It's about how much does it cost you to give it? How much does it cost you to give it? That's, an, that, that, that's taking the concept of, of giving and it turns it all on its head. Whether that's financial or talent, whatever it is, your time. You know, some people come to me and they say, uh, you know, I really like to help in this area, but I don't have the time. You know what I found? And, and I'll, I'll be generous here, 99 times out of 100, so I'm giving you that one person, maybe this is true. They have the time. The issue is they're not willing to make the sacrifice. That's the issue. Let's just be honest. And you go, well, no, I don't have the time. Well, let's look at your schedule, and I bet you I can find something. Would you be willing to sacrifice that to do something for God? Because here's the deal. I've learned this. We all have time. We can be really, really busy, and this time of year, be really, really busy. But are you willing to make the sacrifice when it comes to giving, when it comes to doing what God's commanded us in his word? Do you give after everything else is taken care of and you have everything you need or want and then whatever's left over you give? You see, that's not what the woman did and that's exactly what they did, the religious leaders. They gave out of their surplus. 
Do you understand what that word means? It means after everything else had been taken care of, after all their needs, their wants, their bills, all those things, some of those are just fine, don't misunderstand me, but they gave out of their surplus. She gave out of everything she had. There's a big difference between giving out of surplus and giving out of sacrifice. And God is calling us to be different. God is calling us to be a people that don't just give out of an obligation, whether it's talents or times or treasure, whatever it might be, but people that are willing to say, you know what, I will sacrifice God to accomplish what you want me to do. What you asked me to do. The greatest gift that you can give is that type of a gift. You know, this time of year, as the worship team was to come on up, we're going to close. This time of year, we, we talk a lot about gifts. And, and that's great. I, I, I love, oops, I love giving gifts. I really do. I like getting gifts, too. I mean, I'm, I'm not crazy. I like getting stuff. I love giving stuff, too. And so this time of year, we, we talk a lot about that idea of giving and gifts and, and all those things. And, and here's the thing. We started out talking about what was the best gift you've ever gave, what was the best gift you've ever received. Well, here's the deal. You thought you knew the answer to that. I hate to tell you this, but you're wrong. I even told you a story. This is the best gift I've ever given. Yeah, maybe it's number two. You see, whether you know it or not, whether you even believe it or not, the best gift you've ever been given was Jesus. You know, I remember my son coming to me and said, Dad, why, why do we give gifts at Christmas time? And, and I probably was busy or, you know, and I don't think he was too old, probably three or four. And I splurted some, oh, because Jesus was the best gift. Because Jesus was the gift. You know, I, I gave him the bumper sticker Christian answer. God of eternity, the God that literally spoke the world into existence, the God that created you and me. Remember in Genesis, it says, let us create. Jesus was there, and Jesus had just as much speaking things into existence as his Father and as the Spirit did. That God left everything for us to be born in the dirt I, I, I really hope you know this but, but Jesus' birth wasn't pretty it was just like every other birth there, 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 was, there was some grossness there if you get what I mean okay and he left the splendors of heaven to be born in a barn with manure and dirt and hay. The place that all of us are so looking forward to being, he left for us. Christmas is more than a tree. It's more than 
than the gifts. It's, it's more than the eggnog or, or the wassail or whatever else or the songs or the lights. It's about a rescue mission. It's about a gift that Jesus said, you know what, I'll give myself. Jesus says there is no better thing. There is no greater love than the person that was willing to lay down their life for their friend. The best gift you ever got was Jesus. Now, some of you have unwrapped that gift and have experienced his life and his liberty and his freedom and his goodness. And he's begun to change your life in unbelievable ways. But some of us, your gift is still sitting under the tree. Your name is on it. You see, Jesus didn't just come to die for everyone. He came to die specifically for you. He was born specifically for you. There is a present under your tree with your name on it. But you have to open it. You have to be willing to accept your gift. That's the best gift you've ever gotten. But the best gift you can ever give is the gift of yourself back to him. The gift that says, Jesus, because you gave yourself, I will now give myself for you. Whether it's your time, your treasures, your abilities, it doesn't matter what it might be. But you have that attitude that basically says, you know what? Jesus, you gave everything for me. I'll give it all back to you. It's all yours. It's all yours. We've talked about this before, but we don't just call Jesus Savior, even though that's what he is. We call him Lord. Because when he becomes not just our Savior, when he becomes our Lord, it basically means everything that we own, everything that we are is his. And listen, hear me here. I know that sometimes you hear that and, and you listen to that in our 2021 mindset and you go, oh, that's so horrible. There is nothing better. There is no place you will ever be that is more glorious and more incredible than when you say, God, it's all yours. I'm all yours. You're, you're, I'm, I'm done. That is the best place you could ever be. And that's the best gift you could ever give. You see, the contrast in this story is interesting because you have one group of people that basically say, you know what? I don't need your gift, Jesus. And not only that, because I don't need your gift, you don't get mine. Yeah, I'll, I'll put my money in. Yeah, I'll attend once in a while. Yeah, I'll play the game. But God, you don't get my heart. You don't get all of me. You get just a religious form of godliness. The woman knew her need, knew that she had to have God's help. And even in that state, still was willing to say, God, it's all yours. What a gift. What a gift. And here's what's so amazing about the widow's gift. If we follow her example and her lead, we can be just like her. Our heart can be just like hers. And really, when it really boils down to all of it, that's what Jesus is after. Not your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. Not your talents. Not your time. Jesus wants your heart. Because he knows when he gets your heart, when you give that to him, everything else will take care of itself. 
So this morning as we close, the question is, how's your heart? Is it a heart that's full of pride and self-reliance? Or is it a heart that's humble and dependent? Is it a heart that says, the best gift I ever received was Jesus. And the best gift I'll ever give is myself back to Him. And I want to do that, not just at this time of year, but at every single day. Let's all, just so we can focus, let's all close our eyes and just bow our heads and just take a moment. And can we just ask ourselves a question and we'll just allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to us. Where's your heart this Christmas? Have you focused so much on the gifts under the tree that you forgot what this is really all about? Have you become a person based on silly things, to be honest with you, to make yourself feel self-reliant, secure, when instead those things are just not going to last? Is your heart soft, humble? Does your heart understand that you need a Savior, that you need a Lord, that you need Jesus? Where is your heart at? Because here's the thing, when your heart becomes where God wants it to be, you'll find it much easier to live a life like the widows and much easier to beware the life of the religious leaders. But if your heart isn't right, you'll find it very difficult to really follow what God wants you to do. So this morning, it's about your heart. It's using these things to diagnose where your heart really is. And only you know that. If you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never allowed him, you've never opened that present under the tree, you can this morning. You can. You say, Aaron, how do I open it? It's real simple. Scripture says that you believe in your heart, once again the heart, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God, he's God's son, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's acknowledging that you need God's forgiveness and that he'll give it to you and that you can be changed in that moment. All you gotta do is ask. There's not a magic formula. There's not magic words, but it's coming to him with a heart of dependency, a heart that knows it needs forgiveness, and a heart that says, God, I know that you are who you say you are and that you love me. For others of us, it may be, yeah, we've opened that gift, but you know, we haven't given the best gift back. We've given little things or we've given what we could handle or maybe, maybe we've given out of our surplus, but we haven't given sacrificially. We haven't given there. We haven't got to that place yet. And here's the thing, when we get to that place, when we become that type of individual, it literally can transform every other aspect of our life for the better. So I wanna challenge you as Jesus challenged you. I wanna challenge myself to be a person like the widow, to not give just out of my surplus, not just give when it's convenient uh, of my time or, or whatever, but that I would be a person that gave everything because Jesus you gave everything for me so father we come to you right now 
And God, whether we need to accept you for the first time, as I believe people are doing both here and online, whether it's understanding that we need to be more like this widow and less like these religious leaders. We need to make it less about us and more about you. We need to make sure that, that, that you are glorified before we are. That, Father, we take all of these things and we say more than anything, we need a heart transplant. We need you to change us from the inside out, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time. God, you love to change us. You love to restore us. You love to redeem us. You love to do all these things in our life. And so, Father, this morning we go to you and we say, do it. Do it in me. Do it now. Do it in this moment change it all. We love you. We thank you. This time, let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for that amazing gift of Jesus. But God, I also pray that you would help us to return the gift. Not, not return you, but return it in us giving ourselves for you. God, we need your help to do even that, but you promised us you would. We know you will. So we just give it all to you. Whether we got just a couple pennies is not the issue. 
But Father, let us all be a people that sacrifice it all because you sacrificed it all for us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, seriously, thanks so much for being here this morning. Merry Christmas. Hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Obviously, still a lot going on. Hope that you can be a part of it. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. Hope to see you soon. We'll see you all soon. Have a great week. Merry Christmas.